0: Hey, folks, welcome back to Police Pod Talk. This week, starting to, well, this week today, I've got two special guests with me. You've probably heard from them before, but they're both of the Java sisters. I've got uh, Stacy here with me, and i got uh, Amy here with me, right?
1: Yes, right, right? hello. Amy,
0: they, hey, hi, guys. Say hey.
1: Hey. <laughs> All
0: right. Okay, what they're going to do today, they want to let more listeners understand exactly what Java does. And some of the things that Java has done in the past to help uh, victims who thought uh, all hope was lost. Is that about right, guys? Yes. yes. And you want to discuss uh, three cases and let people understand what you've done uh, just by intervening and uh, helping out a family. So um, I'm not sure who wants to speak
2: first, but go right ahead and uh, let's talk about whichever story you want to tell first. Go ahead. Um, the first case I think we want to start with is Misty Gebhart. <laughs> Um, Her mom, Kim Weehee, has been a member of JAVA almost as long as JAVA has been in existence um, and practically since Misty was killed. The unique part of this case, unfortunately, is that Kim has passed away. So um, we, as JAVA, have taken it upon ourselves to try to keep Misty's case alive to um, keep Misty's memory alive, as well as Kim's. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about this case today, but there are some unique things um, about the case that I think Amy can kind of touch on. Sure. So Kim and I, you know, it's just we just took a liking
1: to each other when, when she first called me and talked to me and um, became a part of Java. Um You know, There's just people that you sometimes connect with, and she was one of those people for me. I was one of those people for her. Kim was limited in the things that she could do because she was restricted to a wheelchair. Um, So when it came time for her daughter's angelversary, her birthday, things like that, I would always ask her, like, Kim, what can we do? Um, how can we help you? We want to keep Misty's memory alive, and we want to keep her case in the news so we can, you know, try to get justice for her. So the first thing that we did was we hanged uh, posters on the—Stacy and I went out on the coldest day of the year to hang posters um, because Misty's birthday— is February 14th and we hung up forever 31 posters hmm. and we would have vigils and things like that we'd try to you know get her out there sometimes i'd pick her up sometimes she'd have a friend bring her
2: yeah the the interesting thing about us going out that day to hang the posters is that the perpetrator was still living in the house hmm. that we were hanging posters on the street of so we were kind of like Watching our back every move, hurrying up and stapling the posters to the trees. <laughs> right, like right. We did the trees right in front of his house and, and along the street, and we were hoping that it would get somebody from that neighborhood to, to come out and give information if they knew anything. Mm-hmm. Um, that we are aware of it did not generate any tips, mm-hmm. but it was uh, definitely an adrenaline rush out there hanging those flyers that day. <laughs> right. So as you're talking about Misty Gephardt, right? Can
0: you give like a Reader's Digest version of what happened so the listeners can know?
1: Yeah. Um, So Misty, um, like I said, she was uh, 31. She was born February um, 14th, 1987, and uh, she passed away on November 23rd, 2018. It was uh, Black Friday. And uh, she... Her, uh, I've got her autopsy in front of me here and her cause of death was gunshot wound of the head and manner of death is undetermined. Um, and so that left a lot of questions for her mom and uh, she just couldn't understand how um, the manner of death could be undetermined. She probed and asked a lot of questions, you know, did my daughter kill herself? Did somebody kill my daughter? Mm-hmm. She never believed her daughter was capable of suicide. Misty's friends, they never thought she was capable of of suicide either. And it was really odd because she was found just inside the back door, which would lead someone to
2: believe that she's either coming in or going out. Well, And, and another part about it is that in the coroner's report, it even says that Misty could not have been holding the gun. Hmm. Now, so- we suspect, we haven't been told this, but we suspect that it's likely that the perpetrator indicated that Misty was committing suicide. Well, if she wasn't holding the gun, we just don't understand how that could be. But we, we suspect that he says that she maybe reached back and pulled the trigger or, or something like that while he was holding the gun. Hmm. You've used the word perpetrator a couple of times. You used it when you were hanging the, the
0: flyers, and you've used it in your, in your last statement there. What do you still believe this person is the perpetrator?
2: There's no question that he was in the house when it happened. Okay. Um, there's no question that it was his gun mm-hmm. that was used. So th- those things lead me to believe that he he was likely the one holding the gun. Okay.
1: Along with um, a couple other things. So in our effort to keep Misty's case in the news, you know, we we encourage Kim to do some news interviews and talk mm-hmm. about Misty's case, and because the news will they'll ask for information, they'll talk with the police, they have a good rapport with the police, and um, they can get in touch with detectives and try to dig into it a little deeper. So one of the former news uh, media representatives had reached out to Kim and said that she wanted to do a digging deeper story. And before she did the interview, she contacted me, and she said, oh, by the way, she said I received an email from someone she said it's anonymous, came into the news station. She said, um, I want to talk with this person, but I can't get them to call me back. But the, uh, the email address was a little odd, and it didn't have the person's name Um, But it said, after I found out about her death, I did contact the detective in charge of her case and still have not heard anything back yet. I was messaging her on Facebook the day she died, and she told me she was going to die. I still have all the messages saved. If you would like to talk further, I can be reached. And they give their phone number. But whenever the news contacted them, they never answered. And then we received, uh, this was prior to us having a tip line, we received some tips. Um, indicating that there was a person bragging about shooting her in the head and um, just different things that there w- it was a volatile relationship that there may have been some neighbors that heard some arguing things like that And then just to go back to what Stacy said about the coroner's report and this is what it says the um, it says in reviewing the police reports and witness statements in conjunction with the anatomical evidence, documented at autopsy the manner of death is undetermined the gun was held by another person but the decedent was reported to have pulled the gun into contact with her head now the only people in the house that we were told that Kim was told that police have ever mentioned is the boyfriend his mother and his child so i mean i don't know if i don't know if that that points to anything but In my opinion, I feel like the three of them would probably stick together.
0: I'm going to go back. You mentioned something about um, the email Mm -hmm. um, and some text messages. Mm -hmm. She herself said, I believe I'm going to die, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but didn't say how or why she felt that.
1: Not in this particular email, but we were told by people that she told them he was going to kill her. And we don't, again, that's like second-hand, third-hand information because we did not hear it. And this was prior to our tip line. So when things came into us, we forwarded it to the police department Mm -hmm. because we wanted them to have the information.
0: And this was back in 2018?
1: Well, 2018 is when she died. Um, Some of the information that we obtained was in um, 2020. You know, when the case still wasn't solved, Mm -hmm. um, there was one particular person that said, like, I'm shocked this isn't solved yet because he, you know, had said publicly that he did this. He was bragging about it. Mm -hmm. So, Hmm.
0: okay, so now that we have an understanding of the story, how did you help the
1: mom? So, like I said, we helped Kim's the mom. Yeah, Kim. How did you mm -hmm. help Kim? Yeah, so so we helped Kim, you know, organize vigils, arrange news. Uh, coverage. Um, we hung posters. Um, one year we
2: sent Valentine's cards to everybody on the street said, hey, this case still isn't solved. Also, I don't know if you remember the SEA 1377 where the, um, it's a new state law in which a um, family who believes that their case is a homicide, um, if they're not getting what they want from the local police department, they could request for the state police to mm-hmm. open an investigation. And so we helped her um, fill out the forms and give all the information that she felt made it look like a homicide. Unfortunately, she, was, she passed away before she got the answer from the state police department, which was not a favorable answer anyway. But that was, that's, that's kind of the hope that she passed away with, was that the state police would pick up and, and take over the investigation. Um, however, that is not going to happen either.
0: Okay, so with Java, where you're, the listeners are hearing, we have a family that had a homicide, and they were basically standing still. Mm-hmm. They were just hearing what the police were telling them, and they didn't have a clue which direction to go. Is that what I'm getting? Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you guys came in, you gave them some direction. You helped them with a little guidance on, you might want to try this, do this, and that kind of thing. Yes, Kim passed away, mm-hmm. right? But I'm sure the listeners are wondering, what has happened since then? Has Java stayed involved? Is Java allowed to stay involved? What happens? Is there any other family that you continue to help? Yeah, go ahead and answer all that. those questions I gave you.
1: So before Kim passed away, I promised her that I would always be be there with her and help her in this fight. And I would you know, try to come up with new ideas. and as I had new ideas, I'd send them over to her. Um, I did encourage her to sit down with the police department. And she did that, and I was not in the meeting with her. Usually Stacy will accompany families, but Kim has a son that works on the sheriff's department. And so she told me, my son's going to take me, and um, we're, you know, we don't, we're not going to need Java today, but thank you, and if you just pray for us. And so after that, she said that she was told that day that this was definitely murder, um, but they didn't have enough information to move forward with the case.
0: No, wait, wait. Back me up. Who told her that? <clears throat>
1: Um, She said in her meeting that the police department told her, the detectives told her and their supervisor that this was murder, but they didn't have enough information. They needed more information to be able to move forward with charging somebody in this case. Okay. After that, when she didn't get any traction, she sent an email. You know how it goes when you send an email. You know, you've got emotions running, and people don't always receive it well. Mm -hmm. And so there was a bit of exchange between her and the police, and they were a little heated with her, and she copied me on the email. And so I tried to smooth things over a bit because I know the police are working hard. They had a lot of cases from that year, and I understand that. But Kim also has emotions, and she wants her daughter's case solved. And it's not just about wanting the case solved, but if we truly have a murder and you haven't arrested the person, then everyone else out here is at risk. Okay. So, so I tried to talk with them. I did get a list of unresolved homicide cases, and her daughter's case was on there. Hmm. So I felt like at that point, that, you know, even though I wasn't in the room and I didn't hear him say that she was murdered, I felt like she was. Right. And that they believed that she was, because they wouldn't put it on the list if they didn't believe it. Okay. Oh. So, um, so c- after that, you know, I continued to talk with detectives and, you know, I encouraged Kim to do everything that she could possibly do as far as, like Stacy said, you know, f- filling out this SEA 177 request. I, I told her to get a copy of the autopsy so we could see what that said. I asked her to get uh, a copy of the police report, which everything was redacted. And I, and I think that's hurtful to a family. They want to know what happened. They want the details to give them something like that. And she paid for it. She paid for nothing. She paid for a bunch of black ink on the paper that says nothing. It's all blacked out. So, but anyways, you know, just keeping that going. And then when Kim passed away, um, her husband asked me to speak at the funeral and um, they asked all memorials to go to Java. Her son and daughter-in-law Um, I had got to spend some time with them too, and they said, "If you can keep this going for us, Mm -hmm. that's great." Because our family just doesn't have it in us, you know. Basically, our loved one Kim would want you to continue to do this because you were so near and dear, and helped her so much. And you know, and her son, he works for the police, so he's got to. I'm sure he's got to be careful that you know to he can't really kind of take sides because he doesn't want to put his job in jeopardy, and he doesn't want to. You know, put his family at risk. So hmm. I understand that. He's got to stay neutral. Um, so after the funeral, I was handed the file that Kim was keeping, and they said, do what you can with this file and keep it going. So, so
2: how have
0: things been going
2: since then? Well, <laughs> the detective on the case has basically um, told Kim while well, she was still alive and Amy since that this case will never be prosecuted. So it's still at a standstill, but Java still um we're actually right in the process of figuring out what we're gonna do for, for Misty's birthday on February fourteenth. Hmm. Um last year we did a online candle lighting. So we don't we don't wanna be out on the coldest day of the year hanging flyers on that street anymore. And he's moved from that street now too. So okay. um but yeah, we I mean this is this is part of our agenda every year is is figuring out what to what to do to bring awareness to Misty's case right. on her angelversary and on her birthday. Right. And one year we pinned a highlight to the top of our
1: page um, with her family's permission. They said, that's fine. Um, we pinned a case highlight at the top of our Facebook mm. page and said, if you know anything. And like I said, you know, some sometimes just posting something will get somebody to, you know, say I remember something about that you know and we were hoping that a neighbor or someone that heard something that knew something you know would would finally have the courage to come forward because I mean it is scary we don't really truly have a like witness protectors protection program in our community you know so it is scary for people if they think they have information against a violent person you know they fear for their own life exactly so
0: okay so we're talking about Misty Gephardt, mm-hmm. uh, November twenty third, twenty eighteen.
1: Yes. Okay. Killed on Riverside Drive, mm-hmm.
0: right here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yes. Okay. That's one case you guys have helped and continue to help a family with. Give Give, us, give the listeners another one.
2: <laughs> well, I think the next one we want to talk about is um, Stacy Grand Champ. When we um, When Java started, it was at Amy's church, was where we held. Um, one of our first few meetings. Another family that also attended that church and were friends with Amy even before Java came to, to we thought, to support Java, to support Amy um, and our, our ambitions. But Amy found out during that meeting that they also were a homicide family.
1: Well, actually, I found out right before that. So, and this is why I say my nephew didn't die in vain. When Spencer passed away, Uh, My son actually went to the neighbor's house and told them. well, he didn't go there specifically to tell them, but they would always ask him when he came over to play with their grandkids, you know, how's your mom? What's your mom up to? Mm -hmm. And so he happened to mention, well, my my cousin died and my mom's really upset about it. So uh, they came over to give their condolences and we were talking and they said, you know, good luck getting justice. We've been waiting 15 years. And I was appalled. I was like, why would you wait 15 years? We've got a killer on the streets for 15 years. I mean, you know, that's where my thought went. They had not um, actively been contacting detectives and no detectives had reached out to them. Um, And the more that Stacy and I talked about it and this is, again, why Java started. um, And we said, you know, we've got to do more and if we band together and if we encourage this family you know, they might go back and talk to the detectives. So Um, I did sit down with Stacy DeGrandchamp's cousin, and I said, you know, we're going to start this Java show up. Would you guys like to be our first family? And they said, well, you know, we need to talk to Stacy's mom, and we'll get back to you. And eventually they did come on. Um, They brought the whole family, and we had them on our our television show. Mm -hmm. Um, And we invited the detective, too, and he said he was unavailable at the time. But I think it just... Knowing that we were going through this and that we were starting Java, I think it just gave them some hope Mm -hmm. and kind of reignited maybe a fire because... I don't think they gave up altogether, right. but I think they felt they had exhausted all their efforts and they didn't know what to do next. Okay. So we just kind of wanted to give some direction to them.
0: Okay, now I'm going to ask for that readers digest version of what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, what happened to Stacy? There
2: there actually was a TV show made after the case was solved and and the the, per, the perpetrator was convicted, she took a plea and, and is in prison currently. Um, there was a TV show done called Mean Girl Murders that that talks about the the entire case and kind of gives a blow by blow. But it was at the point that the detective um, solved the case, it was 17 years old. Mm. But I'll let Amy give the details of what what happened.
1: Yeah, so Stacy was a teenage girl um, getting ready to start her senior year of high school out at Wayne High School. She had gone to a party with some friends. It was basically a uh, dispute over a boy. Her and another girl liked the same boy, and they end up getting getting into a fight there, an altercation, and she was stabbed to death. So, like I said, the case went unsolved for all these years, and after 15 years, we had given the family enough hope to get in contact. Um, I basically just kind of um, told my friend, you know, if if you have permission from your aunt, you know, here's the phone number to the detective bureau. Um, my recommendation is that you find out who your detective is. And I said, most likely it's probably going to be Brian because he handles the cold cases. And I would imagine after this many years it's a cold case. And I said, call him up and just say, hey, you know, we're the family. We haven't heard from anyone in a while, and we just want to get an update. So what happened?
2: Got the ball rolling. <laughs> so- yeah, the, de- the detective, um, Brian Martin, pulled the, the box or whatever it is that they keep all the evidence in Um, And since it was 17 years old, I'm guessing it literally was a box and found some evidence in there that hadn't been explored by the original detective, um, a witness that hadn't been questioned back then. And he went and questioned that witness and they were able to give him the whole story.
1: He actually re-questioned several people Mm -hmm. and, you know, to see if their story had changed at all, if they had remembered anything that they hadn't mentioned at first. And then we didn't know, but he was actually um, the perpetrator was living in Wisconsin at the time, and uh, the family thought that she was in Connecticut because she had moved to Connecticut right after the incident happened. Um, but he found her in Wisconsin, and he tracked her down, and he, uh, I think, I think he made several trips out there, and so eventually, the the final trip was she was arrested and brought
2: back. Yeah, and in the TV show that I mentioned, um, there's actual footage from him in her home in Wisconsin and he asks her about the weapon Mm -hmm. and she gets up and walks back into a bedroom and brings out the weapon.
0: Now that you said that, I remember seeing that. Wow. So let me ask you this, and I know someone's listening here and and saying, Hey, how does that make you guys feel? I mean, when you just give a little nugget to someone to push them forward and all of a sudden it opens up this whole world You said he came out with a box. He looked in there and found some evidence. You guys started that. How does that make you feel? I mean, you're the Java sisters. Come on.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, when you asked me on one of my previous podcasts about how do we know that we're effective or that we're successful, it's those little moments like Mm -hmm. that. When a family gets justice, it might not be my family, but a family got justice, and that's what we're here for. And in several of the podcasts, I mean, I'm I'm not in here when people are recording, but in several of the podcasts, probably almost every single one of them, they've said, you know, the family has said, the reason I lean on Java is because they give me hope or Mm -hmm. Java has helped me. Mm -hmm. That's what we're here for. And we don't always track our numbers and we're not, you know, patting ourselves on the back daily, but it's a win. It's definitely a win.
0: Well, I'm telling you two are sitting here being really humble, okay? (laughs) It's okay to say you jump for joy. It's okay to say you
2: shout it out when you got the, the, the information. Come on now. Well, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword because we know that no amount of justice is going to bring their loved one back. Right, right. right. So um, it's hard to jump for joy for a murder prosecution because there's no joy. Mm-hmm. There, there really is no joy. Mm. Um, when you're looking at that, that, Topic, right? But it, it it's gratifying. Um, it is like Amy said. It it shows that neither Spencer nor Cody have died in vain. Mm. Right. Like we are moving forward in their name, helping other people. And if we have helped one family get justice, then we've done what we set out to do. Wow. I
1: remember after Stacy's, um, co- the conviction in her son's case. We were all thinking, is Stacey gonna be done with Java now? Because she got her justice, but she said, No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. And I remember somebody asked her right afterwards, so what do you do now? She said, Oh, I gotta work on forgiveness. Yeah.
2: Wow. So and That's more great. cases. Yeah. We yep. got more cases. There's a lot of unsolved cases. So the right. 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 work is not done. Well, and, and we talked about in my, my podcast, the introduction to Java, how things have changed within the system since the inception of Java. And I said then, like, I would never say that Java is directly responsible for any of that. You know, there was a huge change in the detective bureau. There was a huge change at the prosecutor's office. Um, The the new person at the prosecutor's office that's making the decisions on murder cases is much more aggressive than than the, the era before him. And I, I would never, ever say that Java is directly responsible for that, but we definitely had an influence. Mm-hmm. They're doing the hard work. They are, you know, Brian Martin pulled that box. Brian Martin went out and re-interviewed witnesses and found the new witness and went to Wisconsin. You know, he did the hard work. And the solve rate now is is amazing. I mean, I think they just publicly um, charged a juvenile in a homicide from 2023. That leaves four homicides from 2023 that are unsolved. Hmm. They're doing the hard work. Hmm. Where in 2016, when my son was killed, in 2017, when Amy's nephew was killed, they weren't working as hard, in my opinion. So um, again, Java is not directly responsible for that, but I definitely think that had not Java come to be maybe those changes had never would never have been made. Right. And I won't say they might not have been working as hard. I
1: think they had a lot less detectives in 2017. They weren't working as smart. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there were new ideas brought to them and I remember when we held a a panel at the church and we talked with the detectives and at the time the new supervisor um, and we, I, we asked him, we said, what, what's changed because your solve rate's going up? And he said, we found a new way to work. And we were like, what do you mean? And he said, teamwork. Hmm. I think it is like, you know, in 2016, in such a year where we had a high rate of crime, they were exhausted. They were probably burned out. You know, in too many cases and being on call and, you know, like every weekend there was multiple murders and things. I mean, I just you know, I understand it's, they're out there beating the pavement, but there are new ways of working. And that's some of what we wanted to encourage is like, you know, well, could you explain to us what is your methodology? And maybe we've got some fresh ideas for you. And I remember one of the things we said is, do you ever collaborate with the prosecutor's office? Do you all sit down at a round
2: table and talk about stuff? And I think at one point, they said "We just started that, or you know yeah. something, but yeah, that that was that's one of the changes in my perspective that has been made. Um, back when Cody was was murdered, the process was for the police department to do their work and gather their evidence, and then the prosecutors got involved. They sent the case to the prosecutor's office. they reviewed it, sent it back. We need this, we need this, we need this. But from what I understand now, the prosecutors are involved from the moment that it happens, hmm. and like, on the phone with them, communicating with them, and and letting them know how effective the different different evidence that they're collecting is in real time. Hmm. Um, so I think that's made a huge difference in um, in the the solve rate. Okay.
0: Okay, so that's, that's I'm, that's, oh, I'm sorry, one, sorry. keep
1: <laughs> <rolling>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, one last thing. Um, the communication, one thing that we have done is encourage the families to make the phone call to the detective because at one of our meetings, that was one of the biggest things that families complained about is I don't hear from my detective. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to one of the detectives privately, um, I was told that they rely on victim's assistance to contact the families. And the families are like, wait, well, I haven't heard from Victim's Assistance, and I know Victim's Assistance handles all cases, not just homicide cases. So we took it upon ourselves to just encourage the family. This is the number to the Detective Bureau, call it. Hmm. And, you know, but that's the point when you don't want to be annoying. You don't want to tell them to call every day. But, you know, what we want the police to tell us like how often should these people be calling you um and we kind of look to them for a little bit of direction because we don't want to misguide anybody right. um but to encourage that conversation and then Stacy actually goes to a lot of meetings at the prosecutor's office with families. Um, and that puts them at ease a little bit because she's been there before she knows. I mean, because that's kind of intimidating when you feel like you have to make a phone call to a detective or a prosecutor, right. you know. So keeping right. the communication going
2: is one of the things that we try to encourage. Good. And and one of the things that I felt like when I was going through my son's case was that um, victim's assistance is is kind of not named appropriately because what I felt like they were advocating for the no to me rather than advocating the reasons why it should be a yes from me to them. They, and that's, that's their role. Their role is to explain the answers that they're getting from the detectives and the prosecutors to the family. Um, Not necessarily to say from the family's perspective, well, why aren't you this, this, and this? So, um, that was a gap that I felt like existed because they're employed by the system. Um, and a lot of families don't trust them because they work for the police department. Mm-hmm. And there is an inherent distrust between the community and the police department in every community. Right. Um, and with victims' assistance being employed by the police department, Java has a unique role in that we can say to the family, you know what, I agree with that. I agree they should have done this or this. Victim's assistance can't necessarily do that. So, um, but that's one of the things that we encourage them, like just keep calling. You know, if your detective's not calling calling you back, start calling every day and leaving a message and say, like, I'm gonna call every day until you call me back. That's not something victim's assistance can tell a family. But yeah, with Stacy DeGran- Champ's case, um, when they finally got the, the word from the detective that they were, were moving forward with prosecution, um, it definitely was a bright day for us and for the family. But like I said, it was, it's kind of a double edged sword because we know what's coming. Right. You know, getting that, the charges is just the beginning. Oh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, we, we f- um, definitely have helped that family, um, gave them the, the hope, the confidence to reach out, and ultimately their case was solved.
0: Excellent, excellent. Okay, you have a third one. Go on.
2: We do. We have
1: um, baby um, Elias Paya. He was um, like 18 months old. Um, He was uh, found in his mother's apartment. Um, He was under the care of his father at the time. His mother had left home. The baby passed away, and the father left the apartment as we understand it.
2: Yeah, and the the ruling from the coroner was another undetermined. The actual cause of death of the baby was tracheal bronchitis, which is an inflammation of the throat um, causing him to not be able to breathe. The father was the one that was with the baby for several hours and could have and should have noticed that he was having problems breathing. And even if he wasn't directly involved with what happened, although we, we believe that he was. Um, even if he wasn't, it was neglect because he didn't get help for the baby. He found the baby having issues breathing, and rather than calling 911, he left the home. Once he left the home, he called another person and said, Go check on the baby. So, all of those steps, we believed, even if it wasn't murder by definition, it was neglect. Mm-hmm. So what happened with the case was that the the detective turned the case over to the prosecutors um, and the prosecutors with, with a recommendation for a murder charge, and the prosecutors did not declined the case for murder. And at that point, the case went dead. The fam- the the parents of the mom and the fa- other family of the mom, uh, weren't satisfied with that and reached out to the prosecutor's office several times, asking why are they doing nothing? Like they understood that perhaps it wasn't a murder, but something. Some Elias des- deserved something. He deserved justice. Um, and they were they were told that the mom had asked that it be dropped and, because she wanted to get on with her life. Um, at that point, the family the, the family of the mom was not satisfied. So, um, we had multiple conversations with them, um, supporting them and understanding that that it wasn't homo- or that it that it wasn't an accident. That something needed to be done. Um, so we came up with a plan with another group called Kappa that specifically fights for children to start a chalking campaign. Both of us, Java and Kappa, went with them the first time, showed them the ropes, showed them where they can chalk, where they can't chalk, um, and all of that. And that family, persevered and went every single day
0: now now let the listeners know what is a chalking campaign
2: so a chalking (laughs) campaign is where we get out of our 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 chalk and we literally chalk the sidewalks in front of the prosecutor's office um and at the courthouse and even sometimes in front of the police department depending on on where the case is Mm -hmm. Um, but at this this point in time for this family it was the prosecutors that needed pushed okay so um, we did chalk at the courthouse that day, but then we took him to the prosecutor 's office and and we chalked there as well and That family then every morning, Karen Richards would have the the chalk cleaned off, and they then went down at night that night and re chalked every single day for twelve days okay <laughs> um until and and they still were going to keep doing it, except that Karen Richards personally reached out to me and said. I know Java's involved in this, so um, what do we got to do to make them stop? And I, I just told her, like, they want to be heard. They want to meet with you. Um, at that point, they had only met with the mom because she was the, the the next of kin to the child. Right. And it's unusual for them to meet with other family members. Um, normally, they, they want to correspond and, and work with just the, the next of kin. Mm-hmm. It wasn't unusual to me that they wouldn't meet with the family, but I felt like they needed to meet with the family to understand their perspective. So Karen agreed to a meeting. Um, I went with the family. Um, they they brought in some stuff, some pictures and emails and texts and whatnot that made them believe that, that there was more to the story than just a sick baby. Um, but also, the, the perspective that the fact that he left the house, the fact that he didn't call 911, the fact that he, you know, was on the run, like all of that was, was neglect, in our opinion. Um, and Karen didn't disagree with that. So um, one of the big misunderstandings was the prosecutor's office believed that the family would only be satisfied with murder. And once the family explained to them that they understood that, that they couldn't charge murder, but they wanted something... Um, It was at that point that the prosecutor's office moved forward and prosecuted on a neglect charge.
1: And also, one thing, some of the evidence that the family took to the meeting, as we understand it, they said, we tried to give this to the detective Mm. early on in the case, and we were told the detective had everything they needed. And that's why, one reason why I say, you know, if you if you really feel strongly about something don't give up on it Mm -hmm. um and you might need to talk to somebody else you know and maybe that detective thought that it was already a copy in the file or whatever i don't know right but we just kept saying you know just keep pushing just keep pushing and i remember the weather wasn't on our side when we were chalking i went several days with the family, brought more chalk because, I mean, sometimes it was just that, you know, we're running low on chalk and Java can just provide some chalk, you know, or just support. Um, I remember we were, we weren't even parked properly. There's, It was right in front of the prosecutor's office, so you're supposed to, you know, there's only certain parking spaces, and we're pulling up with our flashers on, getting out, and people are looking at us, like, we'll only be here for a minute, we are just going to write something on the pavement, you know, and I mean, and it was like a love letter to the prosecutor, like, you know, do something about this, call us, we want you to hear us, you know, and they did, finally, and, you know, nice that that Karen felt okay with calling Stacy and talking to her about it and getting more information, you know, so...
0: So those are three examples of how you guys have been involved with families and guided them, directed them in the right way, but in a respectful way to get something done when they had no clue this was available. Right. So in a nutshell, three stories, one unsolved, one that was unsolved that eventually was solved, and then one where you finally got some charges filed. There's a family out there listening right now. Tell them what they need to do. What do they need to do? To get your help your
2: guidance we've got our facebook page hashtag java in the search bar and then um, you'll find us justice accountability and victim advocacy Um, we welcome families to post their stories on our page Um, often it's not the board of the leadership team of, of java that comes up with the the answers it's other people within our membership that say oh my gosh we tried this or we did that or um, we didn't do this, and we wish we had. So it's not just just Amy and I or, or the leadership that is coming up with the ideas. So we welcome any family to post their story, um, overdose, missing persons, homicide um, on our page. We also have our website, javafw.org. Um and one thing that we um actually Amy this is Amy's baby and she um and our web designer developed this tool it's called Sam stands for send anonymous message um and I will let Amy talk about you know real quickly the history of how that came about but we're we're getting tips sent through that very often that are helping solve all kinds of cases not just homicides but drug cases and and, uh, and other things. But I'll let Amy talk real quick about how that came to be. Yeah, and so the unique thing
1: about SAM and how it's different than the other uh, reporting tools that are available is that SAM does not track your IP address. You don't have to register for an app or anything like that. You could just go to our website You can free type anything that you want, and you can load up three attachments, whether it be a picture, a video, um, anything like that. You can load up three attachments, and when you send it, it goes directly to a mailbox that's at the police department that was set up dedicated for um, the Java tip line. Hmm. And so these police um, have access to that 24-7 to monitor that. Um, and it was actually a partnership with um, some of the uh, police in the, that work the gang and violent crime and drug cases. And they, you know, we had sat down with them because we were so concerned about this crime of these young teenagers. And they said, you know, the, the thing is they don't have a way to anonymously report to us. Right. And so we said, you know, we'll come up with it. And initially they talked about some method of writing something down on a paper and slipping a paper in a box, something like that. And I went home and talked to my own teenagers and they said, mom, no one's doing that. Mm. No. And if you're seen doing that, you're going to be known as a snitch and that's right. going to be bad. So this is unique because nobody knows that you sent this message hmm. and um, it's not going to be tracked back to you, but you can send something and then they will take care of it and investigate it on their end. Um, and so that's, uh, again, called SAM. It's on our website. You just click on the icon and just start typing whatever you want. When the police department gets it, they just it comes from um, Java's anonymous reporting or something to that effect. Right. Um, so it won't be traced back to you.
0: Excellent. Amy and Stacy Davis. You're not sisters, are you?
2: No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Just happen to
0: have the same last no name. No
2: relation at all.
0: <laughs> but you are Java sisters, right? they yes. are. Yes. I'm telling you what, this, this was really educational, eye opening. I mean we've we've spoken before, but I didn't know this much. Mm-hmm. Even with the podcast before, this was really great. I'm glad you said, Hey, let's do this. Uh, because you're making making it easier for people to understand what you do,
2: mm-hmm.
0: plus understand what they need to do to get in touch with you guys. This is great. I'm I'm glad you guys did this today. Right. Amy, and go ahead. Can I say one last you go thing? Go right ahead.
1: Um, so we do have events posted on our page, and we also have a calendar on mm-hmm. our website. If you don't use Facebook, but uh, that'll have our upcoming events. And um, and I don't know when this podcast is going to release to the public, but mm-hmm. our next meeting is February third, and that's also the um, National Day of Remembrance for Missing Persons. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot going on that day. In March, we're going to be sitting down with the prosecutors at our public meeting. They're going to be in attendance, um, and we're going to do a little bit of training on how you can follow your case. Um, hmm. So there's, we have a lot of stuff coming up. Um, most of our meetings are the first Saturday of every month. Okay. Um, up through at least May, we have some things scheduled, so... Um, If the public, you know, it's free to come to our meetings, we even give you some snacks, but just it's a platform to talk about your case, Mm -hmm. to meet other families that are, you know, have been through what you're going through. Um, and to kind of just get some support right so um, like i said we invite everyone to come out Um, our public meetings most of them are held at calvary united methodist 6301 winchester road but um, when we do other events sometimes you know we go to a picnic we go to the roller skating rink i mean we it's not just all serious business we like to have fun and Hmm. love on people too so excellent
0: excellent stacy you look like you wanted to say something there
2: I think Amy said Southern. <laughs> there
0: you go. Okay. <laughs> Ladies, thank you very much for being here today. And uh, folks, hopefully you learned something today. And uh, if you need them, you know how to get in touch with them. Stacy and uh, Amy Davis, thank you very much. And folks, thanks for listening to Police Pod Talk. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Jr our police pod talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.